All right. Uh, hello, and welcome to a very special live on leadership. Normally, we go live, meaning live, like people can comment and view. But because the week uh, in which this is being aired, the second week of March 2022, is my children's spring break, and I am a big believer in taking your breaks so that you can recharge. Um, we are recording this and we will, I'll release it while I'm gone. So we'll see how this works. Um, so I'm very excited because not only are we trying this recording and release situation, but we also have just one of my very favorite leaders in the whole wide world, Robin Johnson with us today. So Robin, we are so glad to have you here. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm Beth Napleton, and I am an expert in working with leaders and mission-driven organizations to help them reach their goals through consulting, coaching, projects, speaking, whatever that was. So I love thinking about leadership and all its complexities. And so we do these lives as a way to learn about the lessons of leadership from a variety of perspectives. And today is really special because Robin has been a principal for 15 years, since 2007. And you heard that right, because we know the average tenure of a principal in this country is, I think... It's elementary, middle, and high school. It's three, four, and five. And I forget if it's what, where it is, but you know, no, the highest average uh, retention is five years um, for a principal time in the role. And so to have a 15-year veteran who is so amazing, I'm just excited, Robin, for us to learn from you. And of course, you are now currently principal at Chicago Collegiate, the school that I founded. I have, in fact, served as middle school principal there on two occasions. And so that you are leading the charge at Chicago Collegiate Middle School is so special to me. So we're so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. So thank you for inviting me. I didn't know it was so rare after 15 years <laughs> you know, a little bit normal. So thank you. <laughs> you know what? I, I've always told you you're special and you really bring a lot. So this is like, when I looked that up before this, I was like, I mean, I knew it was bad, but it's like, and it's a, it's a hard job. I mean, we'll get into that later. It, and it's also, I think, arguably the most important and impactful position in all of education. Um, and so I think it'll be exciting to go. So we met, um, as you may infer, when Robin applied for the principal role at Chicago Collegiate. It was the spring of 2020. Now, I will say, I'm embarrassed, but I believe in transparency as a leader. Robin had to apply twice. <laughs> and I, when I saw her name, I don't know what happened when her name came across my desk the first time. I think I thought, she has so much experience. Like, we're just a little old school. And um, we had had a sudden resignation mid-year. I had taken over for the principal. And part of it was, frankly, that as I was busy being the CEO and the principal and trying to hire for this role, it was like, really, what is the clarity on what we're looking for in this role? And it was also May of 2020. So school was totally virtual. There was no clear, like, what did, when was the pandemic going to be over, which is a question I'm still waiting for, but whatever. Um, so we were excited. So anyway, the second time really got my attention. <laughs> and Robin, you talk about that because you were like, I felt like I knew this was my place. I think it's important um, to really find a, a place that will be home for you, where you can bring your strengths. And so actually there were other um, organizations that were wooing me or um, trying to talk to me, but I made up in my mind that I felt like Chicago Collegiate was the best place for me. And so I think it's really important, um, not just, yes, the work is important, but it's also important where you do that work. Um, I felt like my core values really aligned um, with the mission of Chicago Collegiate. So I was sharing with my family, like, this is where I want to be. And so um, after that second time, my mom thought it was a little strange. She's like, well, wait a minute. But I knew, I felt in my heart, this was uh, home for me. And so I'm so glad um, that I filled out that application. So I knew it was home, but I just had to take a little bit more time to figure out well, that. I think what happened the first time was that 
you know, sometimes when we're in a, we like, let's hire. It's like, but we actually taken the time to sit down and they're like, what do I really need in this role? What does the organization need? And every time I skip that step, I regretted it either because I hired wrong or I was like going without the North star through the process. So then I went back, I took my own advice and did it and it helped a lot. Um, and, uh, it was really just so great. So thank, and, and you were at the same organization for 20 years before this. So you started as a teacher. It was a very early school, um, in the charter school movement in Chicago, and then helped grow the school, became an assistant principal, replicate. So you were really there for a long time during their growth years. So I think that the fact that you were able to identify really in some ways only your second professional home, right? And think about that and think about it has to be a mutual fit on both ends. It can't just be like, you're the person we need. It also has to be, is this a place where you can thrive? So yes. So we are very lucky. The process confirmed that for me. Um, so getting to know the students and, and the staff um, and the questions that were posed, it, every step let me know that it was the right decision for me. That's good. Well, and you were the first and to date only principal we hired in the middle of a global pandemic. So everything was remote. I don't think we met in person until like probably August. I mean, I remember being like, I was like, Robin, you're shorter than I imagined. <laughs> a lot shorter. I was like, okay, because we're just on Zoom. And it's like, you have been leading the school for months. And then, I mean, almost your whole first year was all, you know, and, and I loved managing you. I loved coaching you. And you kept being so like, I'm just sorry. I'm just getting my finger. I'm like, Robin, everybody, every principal in America is learning how to lead this remote school situation or hybrid. You know, we were in Chicago, didn't go back in person until May of 2021. Um, and so, you know, it was like, nobody knows this. A lot of the tricks that you had accrued in your, you know, 14, 15 years you know, we're not, we're analogous, right? But weren't necessarily like, how does, how does morning meeting look with a whole school in a Zoom environment, right? And how do I make sure there's active participation? Like you could do that in your sleep in an assembly, but what does that look like here? So I'm excited. You are at the helm. It has been a gift. I felt like as a leader, we we took our share of, of lumps at Collegiate. We, we had some rough obstacles to navigate and many of us who are hiring Shannon and Tracy and myself were like, Robin is our karmic reward. <laughs> like we just like kept sucking it up and handling it and sucking it up and handling it. And like Robin is divinely sent to us because we handle our business time. So you are a blessing. Um, so let's, uh, you know, thinking about your learner leadership journey, um, what are you thinking about? Like, you know, it was interesting because you came you and with so much experience, um, but also we're going to be leading the school in the pandemic, right? We were all virtual. Um, what were you really, when you think back on that time, what do you really take from there? What were your leadership lessons? What were you kind of really learning and figuring out then? There were a lot of um, leadership lessons, but I think the number one thing that stood out to me was balancing accountability and grace. Um, and that's, that was something um, that probably shouldn't have been as new, but it was a little new uh, considering the level of grace that our families needed, but also the level of grace that our staff needed. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was a delicate balance because I knew that there were certain goals that we had to achieve, mm -hmm. but I also knew that the families needed more support than ever. Our scholars needed more support than ever, and so did our staff. And so that was like the number one um, lesson for me. And it also was what I had to keep my finger on the post the most. Mm -hmm. um, just to make sure that we're doing both equally and doing both well, because they were equally important. Uh, reaching the goals, but also it was more important than ever to let the teachers know, yes, um, we value what you bring instructionally and academically, but we value you as a person and as an mm -hmm. educator. 
um, and we're going to make sure you we support you as you grow. And that mm-hmm. was that was a lot different um, in a pandemic. Uh, and so it's something that I'm, I'm actually excited that I had had the chance to be a leader, you know, at this time. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean, God bless you, because I think that you know, it's, it is in a lot of times in these hardest situations where we learn a lot. And I think that you phrase it well with this delicate balance that I would imagine to some extent is still going on, right? There's still, you know, vaccines aren't required. They're not widespread. Um, you know, the great resignation and kind of, st- you know, like it just, I feel like educators feel a little like it is this tightrope that you're trying to make sure that we do what we promise for kids in the building and recognize the humanity of people, know that things might be a little topsy-turvy, understand that parents are likely more stressed, you know, as they deal with this. So you've really just done a great job and did it in a community that was new to you at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that even was a different layer of challenge as well. I will highlight that one thing that stood out. I was a little worried because we have, you know, the Net Promoter Families um, score. Mm. And it has been very strong, even during the pandemic with the new leadership team. Um, and I just think it says a lot about just finding that balance of yeah. instruction and, and just care just for people, not even yes, just about yes. educators and students, just humanity. It's true. It's interesting. And that net promoter, I think we started only shortly before you got there, but that was a really effective way. You know, when you think about like, how do you measure like what we wanted was a, an indicator that families were happy and would stay so we wouldn't have a lot of student turnover. And we really learned that like in many you know places that ask you on a one to 10 scale, if you take the number, for those of you who don't know, a nine and a 10, you take the total number of people who answer nine and a 10 to a question like, I think it's something like, would you recommend Chicago Collegiate to a friend, um, a trusted mm-hmm. friend? So that, that way it kind of gets to not just what's your experience, but do you feel strongly enough where you would recommend it? Take your number of nine or tens. I think it's minus your sixes and belows, and then you end up with a number that's somewhere between negative 99 and positive 99, um, because you've got your promoters, your detractors, and then some people in the middle is neutral. And so I think what we've seen over the pandemic and with your new leadership, and as you alluded to, is that our families felt really good about the organization and and it continued to grow. And so it is that balance of, of course, your job as a school is to make sure kids can read, write, do math, and have these choices. And are you empathetic? Are you able to help meet them where they're at, develop as people? And I don't know. It's, it's, it's important, but I really love that. It, it's, it's a, it's a proxy, right. And it's like a snapshot, but it, it, it is helpful to see. And I think it, it mirrors the mimics and mood, you know, mirrors the feeling. I mean, you were out, you mentioned to me when we were preparing for this, you were out briefly, you know, for a meeting or something and you had parents texting you like, are you okay? So-and-so said you weren't in school today. <laughs> so, you know, that's a sign that there's a lot of care there. Right. Um, and it's a tight community. It feels good when you receive the grace and the care as well. So that's something yes, exactly. I but it feels good. Caring communities. Caring is not a one-way street. It's nice to have that, you know, whether it's in a classroom, in a school, whenever it is. Absolutely. Well, you know, you've been a principal for a long time. And so is there something that used to work for you in leadership that doesn't quite work anymore? Um, like I think about our toolbox as leaders, and sometimes there's like the old standards we can pull out again and again. But sometimes we evolve and something that used to work and it just doesn't anymore. I think it, um, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I think one thing that was like a secret sauce for me, um, or I thought it was my secret sauce, was um, really um, heavy accountability with all stakeholders and transparency. Um, Mm. So that was something um, that I felt worked, and I received a lot of positive feedback. Um, it was always highlighted with any promotion that I received. Mm-hmm. And I also, and the data in, in my mind was, was pretty strong. And 
um, with the ratings and different things like that. But what I've noticed over over time um, is just number one, there are a couple things that I have to consider differently. Even with transparency, it looks different. It feels different over time. And I mm. say that because it was it was a strength for me. Uh, at least I thought it was a strength. You know, everyone knew where we were going. I was transparent. You know, about you know what I was working on, what I wasn't working on. But what I realized now. Um, in a pandemic and in a state where um, things are very unstable, I have to be thoughtful about the when to share the transparency. And I think transparency mm -hmm. is important, but transparency in the absence of a plan, in the absence of certain pieces can cause more damage than, than you need. So I've had to learn uh, to find that sweet spot. Yes, I value transparency. I also want to make sure that the planning um, is there. So when I'm sharing this information with staff and, and with uh, parents, I'm really clear about, hey, this is this is where we are. This is where we're going. These are my thoughts. Or, or even if I don't have the answers, this is the process. This is how we're going to get there. Because in the absence of that, um, because of everything that so many of us are going through now, um, it's just taken very differently now. And so, yeah, it seems it strange. Makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm guessing like I'm thinking like 2012, 2014, where you might be able to share data and say, you know, we'll have a plan at the next staff meeting or whatever. But people are just on edge a little bit more. Right. And people are just a little everything feels so uncertain. And so, you know, no, no, no. I need you to have a plan now. Like no waiting for the next meeting. No, I trust you. I've got this. Like I need to know where this is going. And that's interesting because as a leader, you need that thought time to just like reflect on the data and, and talk to your leadership and make a plan in a way that is so important. Um, now, there's one other thing too. Planning also looks different. And so where before I could just create one plan. So for example, mm -hmm. this year I created three plans and three school schedules and I presented it to the staff based on potential enrollment. Oh, and interesting. So we, we plan differently. And so it's, it's really thinking about there's so many uncertainties, but if we plan for each scenario and so mm -hmm planning in case we, you know, reach full enrollment, in case we're almost there, in case we're a little farther off. And I found that that gives teachers and parents a sense of calm because now it's not like, oh, it's a change. No, we're transitioning to the new plan yes. that was already prepared and rolled out. So um, the planning just looks a lot different and you have to just really think through some pieces um, that otherwise you wouldn't need to in the past. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's interesting because I think so often leaders have, you know, like they present plan A and they have B and C in their pocket, but then staff thinks it's a change and the leader's like, no, no, chill out. I've got this. So what's nice is by saying, here's plans A, B and C, people know, oh yeah, we tried A and now we went with B or whatever it is. Like, I think that's really a helpful piece and just builds so much trust. I mean, the staff just really trusts you. You really worked hard to earn their trust. And I think those are the leader moves that really help people see, you know what you're doing. We're in good hands here. Right. And we're, we're going to kind of keep focused on, you know, my classroom or my advisory or my small group or whatever it is they're responsible for. So that's really important. Yeah, yeah. it's nice because they can tell me when it's time to shift. They're like, oh, if we get three more students, it's time to shift to plan B. So it's <laughs> <that's> really nice. <laughs> right. Exactly. They're investing the goals. They're moving it forward. You're just right. Exactly. Exactly. You're a master leader. What about a time that you learned a leadership lesson in like a really profound kind of smack you in the face kind of way? It just like. Some, sometimes the lessons come quietly and over time, and sometimes they come loudly and clearly. Can you think of one of those kind of loud and clear times to tell us about? Wow, I probably have a lot of loud and clear times, but 
I think um, one of the lessons that kind of smacked me in the face a little bit, and it kind of goes back to that transparency piece, because I'm always fired up um, because I just know I've always worked with um, in schools or communities um, where, you know, the data just really um, didn't reflect um, patience. You know, we had to move, we had ground to make up. And so um, my first year as a replicating principal, you know, I went in with that same passionate energy and, and, and mindset and it just did not work. And so I, you know, you know, planned, I, you know, I'm going to meet with our families and I'm going to share um, the data. And what I found was that the majority of the school at that point were like below the 10 percentile. And so I, you know, did the same thing that I did at my previous school, sharing that data, and it just really backfired. The parents were angry. Mm -hmm. um, they wanted to transfer. Um, it was just a lot. And I had to really clean that up quickly. And what I realized that I had to do, yes, the data was what it was, but what I didn't do, I didn't paint the picture of hope and where I wanted to go and where I knew mm -hmm. the children. And so that was a huge lesson for me. I hit that. I hit the data hard and I hit the right now and the reality. But I didn't I didn't give them a sense of this is the plan and this is what we're going to do. And I believe in you and I believe in our students and together we can make this happen. And so it was a huge eye opener. I know I, I was a deer in headlights because this is what I had done in my previous school and it worked. Um, yeah. But in a, in a new community where they didn't. Um, have the you know they didn't have the benefit of, of knowing me for years and knowing my heart and, and who I am as a leader in person that that wasn't the right move and so I had to really clean that up and we were able to I had a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations as opposed to you know one in a hundred and really had to show them that we were I was invested and in the commitment and that first testing year I believe we ranked number two uh in the city for charters wow. and so we went so we rebounded, but that could have went a whole totally different direction. But I had to own that my approach wasn't the best at that time. Um, and I didn't give that ray of light at all. And I should have done that. It's so interesting, too, because, you know, you're working with a new community. Not only do they not know you, but they don't know, you know, they, there is no school to see. You and I have both been in that place of starting mm -hmm. schools. It's like it really is like, you know, where is like your school you had left, like you transitioned mm -hmm. from, um, you know, the, the flagship school, like parents could walk in and see what it looked like. So they knew what they were signing up for. And even if they kind of knew with the replicate, you know, certainly I did a lot of work to paint a picture for parents, but there really is, as leaders, we're always balancing that. I mean, we talk a lot about the Stockdale paradox, right? Face the brutal facts, but maintain hope that you'll get there. And it is kind of when do people need more hope and when do they need more of a reality check? And, you know, I think particularly with academic data, I think it's interesting. I thought my own understanding of, both what it does tell you and what it doesn't tell you over time. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting as a, as a parent of kids now, right. And like looking at their winter map scores and whatever, it's like, mm -hmm. it's a snapshot. It tells you part of it. You know, my, one of my sons took a huge dip right in the fall. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, he told me he was super hungry that day. Like, I'm not that worried about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we talked about maybe getting the snack next time and then going back to it. But mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think that, that often there can be such, um, it just brings up a lot for people. And so how do you, you know, recognize that and, and say, and let's have a way forward. Here's what we're going to do. Your kids are super smart. We've got mm -hmm. great teachers. You know, we, we, we have a great plan. We follow the plan. We get there. That really makes a big difference. So 
Yeah. Um, well, we we care a lot, both care a lot about equity and justice. And I think, you know, the world has kind of begun moving a little faster in that track. And actually, you joined the collegiate team probably right around the time of George Floyd's murder, um, like May 2020, June 2020, somewhere in that mm-hmm. hazy time that is uh, there. Um, we started to do some things differently at collegiate, which, you know, of course, you wouldn't have, you know, that was just the way you knew it. And I know that there's that work has continued. Um, what are you thinking about that we've done that you're really proud of? Like, what are you, what do you think about in the DEI space that has really worked or been beneficial or that maybe you hadn't done in your previous experiences and you were glad to experience at Collegiate? I think one thing, there are a lot of things that stand out, but I think if I had to choose one thing, it would be... You can name a few. You don't have to choose one, but oh, go I ahead. I can name a few. Okay. Uh, well, the first thing I will name would be um, equity with grading. Um, really, really um, huge and, and big for um, children of color and communities of color. And so there's so many times where um, children are graded not based off of, you know, what they know and mastering is based on, you know, behavior and all these other mm-hmm. things. And so we have really worked hard to remove that. We've had tough conversations with teachers. We've worked with scholars. We've worked, we work with parents. And we are now at a place where we really feel and believe that our um, that our grading um, system is aligned um, with the equity focus. There's a strong correlation, um, and our it's very transparent. It's very clear. Um, we've done a lot of work around like our our grading system should align with even how we want to be treated and that growth mindset. But for whatever reason, sometimes it's like okay, we're taking this test on Thursday. You either master it or you don't, but that's not how life works. And so just mm-hmm. really giving scholars an opportunity to put in extra work, to, you know, come in and, and read, you know, we can reteach and you can retake the test and giving them additional opportunities um, and not using um, grading as, as a punitive measure. Yes. You know, yes. you don't, you yes. don't hear, take this zero, you know, and go mm-hmm. have a And so we really shifted with that. And um, we have found that our on track, for students where you're looking at scholars, when you look at attendance and, and grades, mm-hmm. has almost tripled, um, but it's wow. definitely over doubled um, because of just the work that we've put in with making sure students know and understand um, what the grading criteria is, and they also have opportunities, and we also partner with parents. And yes. so very, very um, proud. I believe um, our score, you know, the, they have the rating where like one to five, and I want to say we moved from one to five um, this wow. year, five being a high that's school. Awesome. So well, that, that's, that's the result of, I think, so much hard work. And that was, I mean, it's so interesting. I think for the past 20 years in education, I don't know if you saw, you know, you've been in education as long as, you know, we've roughly been around the same time, like grading is like this weird, everyone like brings their own weird baggage to grading, right? Like, I just feel people have these like teachers, like had these passionate memories of like this teacher and what worked for them. It's like, I just feel like it is a Pandora's box, but it's a Pandora's box you need to open and shake up and be like, what is this, right? This is not about if they cooperate with you or they hang your bulletin boards or they're, you know, really zesty in class. This is about, you know, can they do this grade level work and to what extent? And I love your point about, you know, it, there is, I can't think of hardly anything in life where you can't do something again. Right. And so like, you know, I have a former student who worked really hard in law school. She just failed the bar. She took it again and she passed. Right. Um, I have a, you know, you think about like these Olympic athletes who've just been watching, right. Some of them like really came back and triumphed after four years ago, not succeeding. So it is like, it's like, when is there actually just, just one chance? Like not, I'm sure there are some examples, but I think part of our role is 
right? Preparing kids for life in that way as well. So that's really great. I'll go, I'll go really fast with the second one because yeah. I think it's the yeah. most important. And that is um, we have really pushed at Chicago Collegiate. And I know you started this charge, Beth, and um, Tracy um, definitely um, kept this going and is at the forefront and heart of what we do. We ensure that all of our scholars receive grade level content no matter what. If they're two mm -hmm. years behind, three years behind, four years behind, all of our students are exposed to grade level content. And we believe that that is directly um, connected to equity. Um, all yes. scholars um, deserve um, to have access. And so a lot of our conversations and, and a lot of the development is how do we ensure all scholars have access? And that includes our diverse learners. Yes, and so we, yes. we're starting to really um, see the traction and movement in our data. So we had our first, um, we had our second, we had our IA2 um, assessment and tremendous growth. We have scholars, you know, growing from 8% or some of our diverse learners to over 50%. Wow. Um, and that was because um, no matter what, even in our diverse learning classes, the focus is always around equity and ensuring that we give every scholar access. And so that is really paying off and we're, we're seeing the movement and, and I know we're going to see it even more later. So I do want to um, just highlight um, your work there and, and I'm excited that we're continuing that work. And I, I named that and stamp it because so many times equity um, in a lot of our minds, including my own, was around um, remedi remediation and small group. And I still believe in small group and there's a time and a place for that. But there's also a time and a place for every child to be exposed to grade level work. And so I do believe that's a huge point of equity that I want to stamp. And I'm very thankful that I'm a part of Collegiate that really pushes that work. Well, and I appreciate, I think, how you bring to this, because I think also people think sometimes about this as a lot of unpacking adults' attitudes, right, and, and their mindsets and beliefs. And that is a really important component of it, right? It's hard to get to grading equity if you don't unpack the adult stuff behind mm -hmm. it. And why do you think this way? And where do they grade at schools that are majority children of color versus majority white, et cetera. But I think also I really appreciate Robin. This is one of the things I appreciate you across the board is I think you always look at it through the lens of like instruction and rigor and academics. Like this is the heart of what we do as a school. And so where does it show up in this place? Because like, it doesn't really matter. I'm not gonna say it doesn't matter, but what happens in the, you know, the teacher copy room is irrelevant if it doesn't impact what's going on here, right? You can have these like wonderful, great PD sessions, but if it doesn't mean that classroom interactions are more equitable, more inclusive, right? Partnership with parents isn't, then like, what is the point of this? We are a school and this is what schools do. Um, so speaking of, you've been a leader of schools for a very long time. So for 15 years, which is below is past the Nash. Speaking of triple, right? Triple results, triple quadruple, almost quadruple, the national average is four years. So like, what are your secrets? What, what, how did, what do you attribute this to? What are your secrets to leading with longevity in a role that is so impactful, but also really demanding? And, and we just talked on our preparation call, like the work does not necessarily get easier, right? Um, over time, like when you started as a principal, I'm going to guess social media was not a real, like not really a thing. <laughs> now it's a big part of, of being a middle school principal, <laughs> bigger than any of us would like, right? Not to mention um, pandemic and all that stuff. So what are your secrets to, to leading with longevity? I think it's changed over time, but I think um, at first um, my secret was I'm very motivated um, to do the right thing um, for underserved communities. That motivates me, that excites me. I like to prove um, that which a lot of people don't believe is true. Um, so mm -hmm. 
I like I know that our our students and and our community can thrive and 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 not just be a strong school for our community or for our area. We can just be a strong school. So I love uh, to be I love being a part of, of that work and and I also really love to see things through. And so the nice part of, about um, being in the community for a very long time. So I actually, for example, had staff members um, that worked for me and I was their second grade teacher before to show how long, you know, I like to say uh, in the community. I also have had um, students in the school bring their children back. Um, mm. you know, so being a principal where, you know, you're, you're able to really see that through, it really matters to me. Um, and so those are the things that really motivate me, that excite me. And I also like to be with our families um, during their journey, whether it's, whether it's good or, or whether it's bad. And I tell um, my children, I really mean that. And I call my students my children. I tell them, you take me wherever you go. Mm-hmm. And so when you, you know, make good decisions, you take me there. But I'm also there when they make the wrong decision. Um, mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. And I think that matters equally. And so being a safe place where, you know, I've, I've had uh, alumni come back and, and bring two, you know, two of the other alumni and say, hey, they're making a bad choice. They need to talk to you. Mm. So just that motivates me and, and excites me. And I think now one of the things that keeps me in the work is constantly learning and growing uh, and mm. being stretched. Um, I didn't like it at first. I'll, I'll name that. Uh, and so one of the things that I had to learn and I think is what I appreciate the most about collegiate is the feedback piece. Mm. And so um, I didn't like feedback at first. And, and I laugh. You have to wonder where did that come from? And so my, my mother laughs and, and my mother shared with me a kindergarten report card. And the teachers uh, wrote on there that I didn't like feedback. Because of my <laughs> mind, well, you said it's an E, but I may think it's a G. You know, why is your word better than my word? You know, so I always kind of had that philosophy, like, you know, my voice matters too. So, yeah, you know, so I kind of had that going. But. I've learned, and also sometimes in, in um, schools and in, in leadership, feedback is used uh, the same way grading is used. Um, it's used, you you receive it when you're not doing well. You don't receive it when you're doing well. Yeah, yeah. So if you're in an environment or a culture where the only time you really receive a lot of feedback is around um, when something doesn't work, you have a tendency to shy away from that because you're like, hey, I'm doing well. You know, this, you know, mm-hmm. this is it. But what I've learned to appreciate and I think what will help keep me in the work longer is getting better and, and getting stronger. And I use the example even from um, yesterday. We had a Black History Assembly um, and it went extremely well. It was exceptional. And I would say like 95 percent of it really went well. But there was like this 5 percent that didn't. And so my supervisor manager he definitely highlighted that 95, but she spent about 20 minutes talking about that 5%. Mm-hmm. And I started laughing because the old me would have been frustrated, but the new me, I was motivated by that because that mm-hmm. means I'm going to get better. I'm going to get stronger and my children will be, will be better. And so um, just really getting excited um, about just getting better and stronger. Um, I don't want to be in a situation where um, I'm not being pushed and I'm not growing. And so what keeps me in the work is really being around others that are leading and doing this amazing work that excites me. Um, So so that's what what keeps me in the work. And so hopefully I can be that for someone else. And I definitely um, have other people in the work that are doing that for me. 
Definitely. It's it's so interesting because I think that what you described about families coming back and seeing alumni and just kind of being in this and in your second grader becoming a teacher, like I think a lot about, you know, I, both of us were teachers at the beginning of our career. And so the kids we taught then are now adults and colleagues and friends and like who I go to dinner with on Friday mm-hmm. night. And so it's, you know, and I always think about younger teachers who are often like maybe three, four, five years in, like, it's like, no, no, don't, like you're, you're at this really great point where like, if you just stick with it a little longer mm-hmm. and then kids are coming back to you and you are able to somehow then start to see the students in front of you, not just as like the seventh graders they are now, which is, you know, no one is their best self in seventh grade, but you're able <laughs> to see them as that lawyer. They'll be, you know, one of my former students who really gave me a run for my money. And this is like, after I won a national teaching award, like I knew what I was doing, but she just loved to argue. Are you, are you, are you? And I used to be like, Jocelyn, you would be a great lawyer one day. And sure enough, what is Jocelyn now? A lawyer, right? Wow. Like a very successful, accomplished lawyer. And what's what what was a little complicated about her in seventh grade is the thing that makes her exceptional at her career. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's just something about when you're in this, you can start to see those things, you know, just you can start to see that. Um, especially, I mean, that anecdote about your kindergarten report, you make me want to go ask my mom for my kindergarten <laughs> report card. <laughs> it might say I talk too much, which... You know, probably is still true given even like, look at, I like to do these for fun and host them. So yeah, it's, uh, that's so great. And it's, I think that's it. And so how, how really have you continued to grow professionally? You talked about feedback and that's certainly a really important part of the culture we built, right? Shannon always says feedback is a gift, right? And I think you're right. It's both the reinforcing feedback, right? Like feedback gets a bad rap because people only talk about it when it's like something you say, but if you're always like, that was great the way you did this. You were so warm when you greeted these scholars. Also, next time, please like scan a little bit more, whatever the feedback that you're giving, you know, to teachers or you're getting, balancing it helps as well. But what else has helped you grow? I think you really, you know, as you've stayed in the game. I think um, if I'm honest about the times when I'm the most successful, it's definitely when I'm pushing myself um, beyond um, just the um, normal day-to-day expectations. So I think about when I um, first became a principal, I was always um, looking for opportunities to learn and grow. And so one thing that I did, even as a charter school leader, um, I believe that we can grow and learn from everyone. And so I reached out to um, a couple of friends that I knew. And at that time, I'm going to date myself. I I don't even know the titles anymore, but um, (laughs) she was um, a literacy coach, but she was over like an entire area or arc or whatever. And yeah, yeah. um, she had access. I think Dr. Jose Torres was the person at that time. It was in uh, Inglewood. And so he would oh, be yeah. the principals. And I asked if I could be a part of that group. And so even though, you know, I didn't have to do any of the assignments or anything, uh, he allowed me to come. And I went uh, for about a year and a half, almost two years to the meetings. I did all the homework, the assignments, um, all the walkthroughs. But Taking the time to learn and grow beyond my environment always makes me better and always makes me stronger. So that was one of the things I did in the, in the beginning and then partnering um, with uh, groups from University of Chicago around um, the step work and the literacy work mm-hmm. was something that I did because I wanted to bring balanced literacy at that time to the school. And then thinking about now, one of the things that stands out the most is the work with Relay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which was new to me when I came to Chicago Collegiate, but just being around leaders um, all across the country and, and learning and growing in so many ways from 
hiring to um, the instructional coaching and work, um, you name it, culture. And there's just support and just so many amazing people doing this work at very high levels. Mm-hmm. And so those are some of the things that excite me, help me grow. Uh, and I think I have an hop- opportunity. I help others and then they help me and, and we're growing and our students benefit from it. So those well, are some of the I- things that stand out. I hear as a common theme there is like working in community with others. And I think that it's like, you know, you certainly can get some growth and development from your leader or your organization, but also it's, it's from others, right? Whether that is a program, a consultant, a community of practice. But I think that that is like, sometimes we think about like, well, this person's job is to develop me. It's like, well, it's actually my job to develop myself. And so where am I going to find this and how do I, how do I seek this out? And I think that, again, true to you, it's like a content, literacy, dr- data cycles, right? Like things that really help that classroom experience for kids in particular. So that's really great. Um, so what do you, you know, what advice would you give to principals just starting out, right? Um, and we've talked, you know, we, we know, we both know principals who are very new to this, who are like, this is really hard. And it's, you know, yes, it is. Um, but what's your advice to them, right? Um, for this very important and very hard job? I think the number one thing that I would say is is that we have a tendency to look at what we do wrong and just highlight it and and replay it over and over again. And so I would say put things into perspective and appreciate and honor the positive work that that you're doing and the difference that Mm -hmm. you're making. Um, And so definitely balance. Like, yes, there are always, you know, tons of things to work on. There are also tons of things that you're doing well. And so kind of back to the point that you may reinforce those things. And if you don't have a manager that's doing that, do it for yourself. So mm-hmm. take time to reinforce and affirm um, the positive things that you're doing and really stamp that um, and still keep pushing. So those are the things. Really find that balance because if you don't, it's just very difficult because there's always um, something to work on. There's always something um, from a data perspective, whether it's instruction, whether it's around discipline or you name it. It takes time to honor the progress. And also, uh, some things are not like a right now goal. Be thoughtful about short term and long term goals and be clear about the progress rest is, that you're making. Because some things may take two years. It may take three yes. years. So yeah. definitely, um, you know, be realistic with your goals, but also set very high goals and really give yourself the same grace that you give others. Keep pushing and find the joy in the work. Um, mm. And so, I, you know, the times that are really hard is when I don't take time to find that joy. There is joy in this work, whether it's like one family, you know, that, you know, has gained so much from the school or, you know, is partnering with the school that, you know, didn't used to in the past or that that one person that grew by 40%. Find, mm-hmm. tap into that joy. If you're in an elementary school building and, and kindergarten is your jam, spend 10 minutes in the kindergarten room. So mm-hmm. kindergarten room, whatever it is that brings you joy in this work uh, and reminds you how important this work is, take time to do that for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there is so much. And it reminds me, I mean, sometimes when I would be having like a frustrating moment about whatever, but it's like, let me just go sit in the back of this classroom. And sometimes teachers say, what do you think? I said, I'm happy to give you feedback. I was in there just to refill my tank, <laughs> just to see kids discussing Greek myths or arguing about Romeo and Juliet or whatever it is like, because I need to take that back to the charter politics in Chicago discussion I'm about to enter, <laughs> which really drains me. Right. So I think that's really true. Would you, what about any advice for people that are like, you know, I've done this for a few years, I've gotten better, I, I focused on that progress, I built on this, 
but wow, this is a grind, right? And this is tough. Um, and maybe, you know, people, I think all over the country and world are starting to think about burnout and, you know, what do I want for my life? And is this job for me? Um, and you made a very conscious decision to keep leading at a school building level as a principal. You know, what advice do you have for people who are feeling maybe a little, little burned out or who might be at that decision point themselves? I think it's, it's hard because it's definitely an individual um, decision. I always tap into my why and I let the why drive. Um, and so, you know, that why for me is 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 very strong, which I know is, it is for a lot of us. And so if this work is still, um, you know, feeding and, and driving and connected to your why, I would say keep pushing and get the support. But if there's something else that you can do that brings that same value with the why, I think that's fine too, because there's so many seats and so many um, opportunities and so many ways um, to really make a difference. And so I would just say, keep making a difference and tap into that why, no matter what that why is. My choice um, is to stay um, at the campus level at this point, because I really enjoy this work and I like being on the ground and I love working with families and students. But I do think if there was a shift and I was to do um, something else, I think that would be okay too, as long as I am really helping students grow and I'm committed um, to, to really, uh, and I'm connected to an organization that aligns with my why. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm passionate about this. I, I believe in this and I wanna be a, a part, whether it's on the ground as a, as a principal or whether it's doing something else. So I would just say tap into that why and stay connected to that and be true to that. And it's also okay. There are days when I don't feel super motivated and excited. That's okay too. Right, um, right. You know, and, and that and it comes back. You you know, it'll be a moment and, and you'll get that get that joy and have those moments. So it's okay if there are moments and times, especially now, when when you don't, you know, feel that joy. Um, but it will come over time. It's true. It's it's not saying my current state of mind is not my forever state of mind, right? And mm -hmm. so how do I acknowledge and recognize, give myself that grace, take the long-term view, right? And and recognize, I mean, it has been a really tough few years, right? For mm -hmm. for everyone globally. And I think schools and teachers have been really impacted. And, you know, it's kind of turned education upside down and sideways for a while. And so, you know, it's interesting. We are both in Chicago and there, I think two days ago, the city of Chicago mask mandate. Um, ended for restaurants and businesses. Schools are in the middle of evaluating their policies. There's lots of lawsuits. Like we're kind of starting to, and I put this in quotes, come out of the pandemic, which, you know, I don't know what that means, but, you know, a lot of the things that have been really just a part of our everyday reality for the last two years are shifting. Um, what are you thinking about as we enter this spring in this phase, as you look ahead to the next academic year? Because I think that it's clear that, well, you know, and again, there's always the possibility of a new variant and lots of pieces we've learned a lot over the last two years, but we're maybe getting closer to something that looks more like normal than it has in a while. But I think we're all going to carry this with us for a long time. And so, you know, I'm curious what you're thinking about as a leader in this in this kind of pivotal time. I think there are a lot of things that um, I'm thinking about. One of the things that has been a challenge is that holistic perspective um, as far as beyond academics in the schools, whether it's sports, um, you know, fine arts or whatever that is, just really thinking about how do we create those opportunities? Because it's not even just about giving our students something to do. It also can tap into passion. It can tap into future careers or opportunities mm -hmm. that they want to have later. So just really thinking about how to make that happen. We've already started, you know, having some of those things, bringing the clubs back and 
um, trying to tap into, you know, sports and we have a little drum line and different things like that, but just really trying to uh, find different things to expose our uh, scholars to just a variety of different things. I think it's important for us, uh, even from a perspective of your own self-care and happiness. And well, and activity. that's like, I, mean, I hear that. And I think like, honestly, even with my own children, there's such an element that healing, like exercise is good for your body, mm -hmm. lifts your spirits, it builds resilience, you know? So I think that when we think about sports and those opportunities, that's a huge part of it. So is art, right? I mean, like art, you know, it's interesting, like, we've had our own set of challenges the last several years in my family. And one of the things that all the mental health professionals say is like art, just like give your kids an art table and just like, let them express. Right. Like it doesn't, you know, and it's like last night, Mateo made this drawing, like this tissue paper face thing. I don't know, but like, you know, just because that is like an outlet. Right. And so how do we give people outlets as they navigate, you know, this world? So I think that's really important. And it, you know, that it, there are so many stories you read about like, you know, this, this really famous writer, like, learned about slam poetry in middle school right and then became this amazing you know amazing accomplished poet or whatever it is so that's that's instructive as always very instructive mm -hmm. i cut you off a little bit is there anything else you're thinking about in this no world? and then i'm also thinking about um support for parents and so i don't quite know what i want that support to look like but i do know uh, especially when we were remote a lot of um, our parents talked about just feeling isolated themselves so yes, thinking about yeah. like as we're moving towards normalcy, like how do we support our families even in this, whether it's, you know, um, small settings where we're, you know, I don't know exactly what it would be, but just some kind of ways like a parent game, like something to um, get them connected to the school and each other um, and just giving them a, a space to, to talk and, and kind of, you know, get back to some of the things that we used to, to do and how they used to be. So I don't have the exact answer, but I do know it's important um, to include the parents in the process as much as possible. Yeah. And I think that it's interesting because the first year that the school opened, I remember we used to have a group of parents, you know, as the founding kids, the parents kind of became close. It was this really nice community. And it was just, it's such an example of like, at the time, I just didn't know how to build on that or to prioritize that. I was like, our focus is on the school and on the community with kids and they can just spend all day together. And a few small things I think would have made a really big difference and really helped in a lot of ways just to, to support and structure that. And now that I'm a parent myself, I get that like, yeah, I want to make sure my kids are happy going to school. And also like, I have questions about parenting at the same, right? Like how do you just build community and help us all as humans feel more connected? It's just been an isolating time. Um, all right. So before we go to lightning round, one more question, which is what do you think are the three most important things for a principal to get right or prioritize or have an order? If you had to only pick three. Wow. I would say be present, you know, and that's uh, with students, with teachers, um, with parents, they should know that you're invested. They should know who you are. Um, they should be able to connect to you. They should feel comfortable. So be present as much as possible. It's very tempting to to go and, and and go in that room and hit that you know get those emails or whatever it is, but um, shy away from that as much as possible. Uh, I will name it. if I have a few days where I have a lot of meetings, my kids call me out. I didn't see you today, or my teachers. I didn't see you today, and that, and that says a lot. It says your my presence matters. So it, mm -hmm. it it matters, even though if they don't tell you, it matters and it makes a difference. Um, so that's number number one. I would say be yeah, present. Um, the other one, I would say, be very clear about um, what your expectations are 
for everyone and all stakeholders is is what we appreciate, but it's also what our teachers and our families deserve. Um, mm -hmm. I don't like I have moments and nor should they. So they're very clear about what success looks like and they know even they know if they're not achieving it. Um, so mm -hmm. just being really clear about um, what you're looking for uh, from the staff and from the parents. And the third one, um, it really taps into kind of who I am um, as a person. And I don't know the right way to say it, but be approachable as much as possible and be open and listen. And, and so I'm fine with um, really just listening, taking a moment just to listen, even if I don't move from whatever it is, but the staff and all the stakeholders should feel heard um, and they should know that you're there to hear them um, the same way, you know, as you would any other group. So those would be the three things for me, um, being super present, um, being clear, um, and then being someone that's approachable and will hear um, all aspects of the community, all the stakeholders, parents, students, teachers, everyone. I think it's striking because I can think so, um, I'm so struck thinking of this advice because I think you embody this in so many ways. And I think about how much you learn from listening. And, you know, when you ask questions, you really want to know the answer. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. leaders ask questions they don't. And if you're asking a question, you got to think, do I really want to know the answer? <laughs> you know, and it, you should, because it's going to tell you a lot. And that's ultimately going to make you, you know, stronger, more capable in your leadership. So as always, very, very wise. Um, so lightning round, what is a book that has meant a lot to you professionally that you would recommend for our listeners or watchers or viewers or both? Um, it's, I guess an oldie, but a goodie. I always go back to leveraging uh, leadership because I, I get a lot of just tools uh, from there. And it's probably, you know, I don't want to say my leadership Bible, but I always go back to it. So uh, <laughs> there's something and I know it's old or whatever. It's all wrinkled with crumbs and stained. Um, but I always go back to that because there's so much there, uh, whether it's instruction and culture and so many just tips that, that I can use. So that's kind of my go-to um, professionally. That's awesome. I love I leverage leadership, dog-eared, all those pages, and always so much to get out of it. How about what's another resource um, that has been impactful for you as a leader, whether it's a book or, or something else? I think, to be honest with you, I think Relay has been the biggest, and I know I said that before, mm -hmm. but that's been the biggest um, resource, and I think game changer for me. Mm -hmm. um, is that I, I believe that I came with a certain level of proficiency, but I think I know the the work and the resources and the support that I've received from um, Relay um, is taking me to that next level. And that's from, you know, designing a playbook to, you know, even the way I deliver professional development is very different now. You know, mm -hmm. I, I feel a little embarrassed to say this, but I didn't create lesson plans for my professional development. Mm -hmm. I just got up to deliver PD. But mm -hmm. um, just the steps, um, and I think about the impact of, um, what I've learned and, and how it plays out uh, on the ground and in the school. And that's what mm -hmm. makes it impactful for me. Um, like I mentioned, like the data point from the parents, where you're getting a lot of tips and, and tools with how to, how to interact, even from in a remote setting. Um, we had a recent um, survey with our teachers and, and I, a lot of them highlighted like trust for the principal and different things mm -hmm. like in trust in the leadership. But if I'm honest, a lot of those things um, came from um, being able to be vulnerable and ask those questions and relay with other leaders. Because at first they didn't feel that way. You know, me coming in as a new leader, they didn't automatically trust me. And 
Um, they were testing the boundaries and different things like that. But having that safe space where I can talk to other leaders and get that feedback and not take it personal, all those things um, and meetings have really helped and supported me. And so I definitely want to stay connected to that work um, as much as possible. So I would say relay and just being connected to just people in the work like you and just a variety of other people that I respect and, and that I trust. Definitely, definitely. I think in the Relay National Principle, it's NPAF, and I'm forgetting the NFAP. Anyway, clearly needed time for another coffee. I think that that, and also spoke to, I think sometimes when you use systems really consistently, like you were speaking to, it really does build trust. And for us, it became less about, we don't need a way to make this up. People do this, they do it well, let's adapt it. And then we can really focus on our execution of it and how to really effectively help boost our teacher skill level to help increase our student learning. Um, so let's talk about mentors. So who are some mentors, you know, personally, um, who have meant a lot to you in your very esteemed career? Well, I have you, of course. I have you. Um, and then I have someone um, that I grew up with, but she, I also consider her a mentor, and she probably would consider me one, too. Uh, she's a literacy expert. She's done just a lot of different things and has been in this work a long time. Um, and so her name is Ebony Andrews Hill, and she is like someone that gets results and really pushes and just is phenomenal and just always learning and growing. And so what I like about her is, is we always say iron sharpens iron. And if, if you listen to us talking, you were like, they don't like each other. No, we're getting sharper and better with every conversation. Um, and so she really pushes me and I think I'm a, a better leader and better person um, because of her and because of how she stretches me. And I think she would say the same thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you're describing her. It's like, she's always growing and she gets results. I'm like, are you talking about yourself, Robin? Like, no, like you need to meet her. She's on, she's always on fire. And the funny thing about it, it just shows how things work. When I started uh, my first, position, my first teaching job, they, um, the person that was the hiring manager was actually looking for her and couldn't find her back. That was back when we didn't have all the social media and different things. <laughs> and so the funny thing about it, so they hired me, they couldn't find her. So they hired me. I didn't know any of this. And so I brought her to a work event and they were like, oh my God, this is a person that I wanted for your job. <laughs> and so we thought it was funny, but we laughed because it just shows like, we're, I guess we're similar in so many ways. So it's like they did, couldn't find her, but they found me. So we, we just thought that was really funny. Um, the fact that they were actually looking to hire her for the position I was hired for. That is and one of those things. Is, and that is exactly that iron sharpens iron, right? Like surround yourself with people who really know what they're talking about, who are great, who can kind of help you push you all of that as well. So not surprised. What about mentors from afar? People you don't maybe know personally yet, but you really look up to and learn about in terms of leadership? I would say, you probably laugh at me. I would probably say Oprah. Um, oh, no. I wouldn't laugh at you about <laughs> Oprah. Are you kidding? <laughs> that is someone that um, I just, like, admire. And I've always just, just watched. And um, just there's so many different things and so many um, lessons from around vulnerability, uh, overcoming um, obstacles, being transparent, um, sharing that pain um, with the world in a way that, you're comfortable with that helps others grow is something mm. that I respect. Uh, so sharing like difficult stories and difficult moments, um, not just for yourself, but just to help and grow others. And so that is the person um, that I would choose that I don't know, 
Um, but I did have an opportunity to go on her show. Um, before, um, actually, the, where uh, I was before I, our network was selected um, through her. So I had a chance to meet her and go on a show. And she gave us you know, this huge check for school and different things like that. So I did have an opportunity to meet her. But I don't know her, but she's definitely someone that I respect in this in this work and just really admire um, her work and, and who she shows herself to be as a person. Yeah, no, she's a really authentic leader. And I think it's also been really neat to watch her evolution, right? And kind of where she focuses and all those, you know, the way that she's helped with so many, everything from, I think, like the literacy rates, right? And adult reading to, you know, her work on South Africa. So no, I would never laugh at Oprah, girl. Are you kidding? Please, please. <laughs> I have that Super Soul Sunday podcast. I don't do too many podcasts, but that one makes it into my queue. So mm -hmm. it's really great. And then what, last question, what is something, it can be about anything that you are loving in your life right now? I am loving the fact that I am going to be a grandmother for the first time. So I'm like super um, excited about um, being a grandmother. I'm also super excited um, for those people that don't know me well. I um, was a teen mom. And so there were a lot of obstacles. And my daughter actually just received her doctorate in social work from Tulane University. So I'm really excited about those couple things. I'm excited um, to see her journey and just um, how hard she's worked as an individual and how hard we've worked as a team. Mm -hmm. um, for her to get there and and not so excited uh, about being a grandmother. I don't know which one. I think I'm more excited about being a grandmother, honestly. <laughs> you can't quite cuddle with the doctorate of social work and career accomplishments, you know, who's much bigger. Yeah. Those babies are real cute. And then I hear that's part of being a grandmother is that when she's having, you know, baby girl's having a tough time, she can go back to mom. So, you know, that's the Even way to go. Better. Exactly. It's really supposed to be the best gig. That's what my parents keep telling me. So I was like, great. Um, well, Robin, it is always such a pleasure to talk to you. It is really so fun. Um, and, you know, I think that for those of you who are either listening on our podcast or watching it live, um, if you liked hearing these gens, uh, please feel free to join um, uh, join my newsletter list where a lot of this is included and kind of a lot more information or follow me on social media. And if you're thinking, oh my gosh, how do I hire someone amazing like Robin? Or I want my principals to really be able to grow and develop many years in, or I am a principal and I need some help finding that fire for where I'm at. Um, or how do I make leverage leadership live in my school? You know, book a call with me. The link is on the screen. It's also my website, bethnapleton.com. Um, it's right in the top right-hand corner when you get there. And let's talk about the possibility of partnering on a project. Um, so, you know, I'd love to see some of the wins that Robin has had, and I've been able to help her have some, and I just was able to hire her who came with the others for those to become your wins um, so that we can do this really important work together. So really excited, Robin. It was always a pleasure. And I'm very excited for your new many, many things, the greatness to come at Collegiate, coming out of the pandemic, and Grandma Robin, I think is going to be pretty amazing. So thank you so much for coming. All right, thank you. Take care, everyone. <laughs>